This is your 15-minute lunch break with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon, and today I want to talk about the monster called fear, the fear factor. Fear, F-E-A-R. Fear is one of those uh, words in the English language that falls into the category known as homophones. Those are a group of words that are pronounced alike but have different meanings. There's fear, F-A-I-R, which suggests pleasing and fine and ample or honest or a gathering of buyers and sellers. Then there is F-A-R-E, fear, which suggests travel and dining or the cost for such. But our focus today is F-E-A-R, that fear, the fear that says to be frightened, to be afraid of, to expect with alarm. Black, white, Hispanic, European, South American, African, Caribbean, wherever you find yourself, East Asian, we all will deal with some semblance of fear. Fear represents a universal human struggle. The amount of things we fear may diminish the older we get, but the degree of the experience of fear does not discriminate. Young people fear and adults have some real fears too. Children may deal with their fears when the bedroom lights go out at night and the shirt hanging on the closet door becomes a headless terror. Well, and us adults may become fearful in broad daylight when we consider that we may have to go through a particular trial in life alone. Regardless of the circumstance, preparation or poise, we will experience being afraid of something. There's a curious story in the scriptures about how the unreasonable fears of some resulted in the collective delay of many. Because fears are many times not what they seem. This story is in Numbers chapter 13, and I just want to lift up two verses of that particular chapter, just the 28th and the 32nd verse, because I want to get to the heart of the story. It says here in Numbers chapter 13 and 28th and the 32nd verse, but the people living there are powerful. And their cities are fortified and very large. And what's more, we saw Anakim, giants there. The Amalekites live in the south, while in the hill country there are Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites. Down along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and in the river, Jordan River Valley, are the Canaanites. So the majority report of the spies was negative. The land is full of warriors. The people are powerfully built. And we saw some of the Anakim there descendants of the ancient race of giants, and we felt like grasshoppers before them. They were so tall. That's how the Living Bible renders it. Living Bible is a um, present tense paraphrase, active voice paraphrase. It tries to give the text of scripture as if it is uh, a moment that is happening in now time. Wow, that is interesting. You hear that's the response of the spies that Moses had sent in to spy out the land that God had promised. There was a clear instruction from God, send them in so that they'll see what I promised to give unto them. Epictetus, that's a tongue twister, a Greek philosopher of the Epicurean clan said these pertinent and powerful words. He says, men are not afraid of things as much as they are afraid of how they perceive them. Hmm. Wow. 
Donna Markover in her book, I Will Not Live an Unlived Life, says, I will not live in fear of failing or falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days, to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, more accessible to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch, a promise. Francis Chan, a rising up and coming preacher, popular preacher in the evangelical movement says, our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Wow. The words fear not appear over 82 times of the word of God. In the Old Testament, it is a fixed language of angels. And in the New Testament, it is Jesus's running mantra. Fear has been acronymously deemed false evidence appearing real. That's taking each letter of the word F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. It is defined as to be afraid of, to expect or worry about something in an unpleasant way. Some synonyms of fear range from alarm to anxiety, from anxiety to dread, from dread to panic, terror, and trepidation. These are all insidious afflictions that cause us to struggle through life. And each of those words, panic, terror, trepidation, dread, seem to add a degree of fear to it. And it gets worse as you go on further. Fear is derived from an old English word that is actually spelled F-A-E-R and that connotes sudden danger. This in turn is derived from an old Germanic word because English is really a word that's derived from German language. And that German word is Fahrer, F-A-R-A. And that word means ambush. The Germanic word itself is a barbaric derivative of an ancient Greek and Latin term. And that Greek term is peiron, P-E-I-R-A-N. And the Latin being periculum, both from which we get our word peril. Wow. Consider all of these divergent definitions of fear and we see how dangerous an experience it can be. The danger being that it is usually a response to an imagined problem. It is a response to a scary expectation. It is a response that is based on incomplete and often erroneous information that leads to drastic steps being undertaken for an insignificant setback. Fear has the capacity to incapacitate because it drives the body and the mind into a place that it imagines only peril, only danger. Fear, if effectively injected into a life that is fraught with great potential, has a way of initiating painful agitation in the presence or anticipation of probable danger. The great challenge of fear is that it operates via the same psychosocial spiritual apparatus as faith. If you've been in church two minutes, you've heard that scripture, Hebrews 11 and 1, that tells us that now faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not yet seen. Let me break it down a little bit. It says now faith is a substance of things hoped for. Substance means that which undergirds, that which settles us, that which gives us a sense of security and confidence that everything will be all right. Evidence. What does evidence mean? That means legal proof, the material verification of things not yet seen. Faith will produce glimpses of his glory and his favor in our lives. That's why the Bible says eyes have not seen nor ears heard. Neither has it entered into the hearts of men what God has prepared for them that love him. 
It also says, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That's Ephesians 3 and 20. Unfortunately, fear uses the same network, but instead of producing positive outcomes, this same network in moments of fear produces panic and dread instead. If we were to transpose this text of scripture with the outcome that the enemy wants, it might read fear is the substance of things anticipated. We expect failure. We expect defeat. We expect to fall. We expect a loss. We expect rejection. And it is the irrational acceptance of things that aren't even real. The mechanism is almost like what is taking place on many of our natural lines of telecommunication today. I wonder if y'all knew this. Most phone companies in existence even today are still operating on fiber optic cabling. Much of this fiber optic cabling was originally put in place by an old monopoly that some of us born in the 80s and the 70s and early on than that can remember. It's a company called Bell Atlantic or Pacific Bell. Companies like Verizon, Sprint, Altel, AT&T and Vonage all operate on the scaffolding of old networks by utilizing new programming language while competing for faster processing speeds. If we unpack this illustration even more, we can see some truths that will give us a greater appreciation of the power and the strength in our swapping of faith for fear. Many of the telecommunication companies that are in operation today do not only utilize these old fiber optic cables laid all over the country by that old monopoly fondly known as Ma Bell, but they even but the even newer players in the game actually rent lines from other companies. As a result, their fees have an additional service charge to ensure that they can remain operational. These competing companies actually have binding contracts and usually target a niche market so that they can all make a profit and all essentially benefit from a network that would cost much more to construct on their own. Imagine that fear is actually renting space on your faith cables. But unlike telecommunications companies that have service contracts, fear doesn't always contract with faith to use its lines. It sometimes simply bootlegs the system and leaves you suffering and struggling, fearful of stepping out, fearful of taking risks, fearful of even dreaming of better. The question you may be asking is, how can you be assured that you are operating on the right network? And the answer is whoever you've gone into contract with or whoever illegally co-ops your service lines, that's whose network you're working on. The story of Israel standing on the precipice of the promise is a great illustration of how fear can be the culprit that ushers in struggle. The nation have been circumnavigating the wilderness for 40 years now. Those who were supposed to pass away in the wilderness had passed away. Those who weren't ready for different, new, or changed, they had also been removed from the camp of Israel. And God gives Moses some instructions. He says, choose the best leaders and I want you to send them in to spy out the land. God was specific. He could have chosen less, but he wanted to gather enough witnesses to get the nation as equally excited about the land as he was excited about orchestrating the divine wealth transfer for them. There were 12 tribes. God said, choose 12 leaders, one from each tribe to go in and spy out the land. The instruction was clear. Send them in. And I got to repeat, to spy out 
the land so that they can see what I've promised. When we examine the term spy, it uncovers and unpacks a great number of challenging ideologies that in turn creates a domino effect of sorts with regard to our understanding of what really happened here and what for the nation concludes in feelings of fear in Israel. When we consider the term spy, it means to watch secretly. It describes a person who secretly collects information concerning the enemies of a government or group. To spy is also defined as to discover by close observation, to investigate or observe in secret. The key point that I would like to focus on is the fact that the work of spies is work that is done covertly. Again, that word in secret. The story says that they went into the land, sojourned its length and breadth, but they did, all, they did it all undercover in secret. This for me is revealing because their actions and their subsequent language communicates an issue of troubled mindset and not so much the facts. What do I mean? As I close, I hurry to a finish. Let's unpack the report of, these, of the spies. These men that were sent on a covert mission to gather intelligence in secret in the in secret about the content and the extent of the land of Palestine that God had promised the nation of Israel first admitted that they arrived in the land and saw that it was magnificent, just as Moses had described it according to the revelation from God. The figurative language statement that was made uh, was one that said it was a land flowing with milk and honey. They brought back fruit as proof of the divine claims. Then the tenor of the report moves from acceleration and enthusiasm about the place offered to concern and worry and apprehension about who already lived there. The first great self-inflicted conundrum was a really subtle one, but one that I would nevertheless like to point out early. Moses, after having been given instructions from God, sends them into the land to examine the land. The instructions never said that they should examine or consider the people who were in the land, just the land, just what the land produced, just what the land was able to bring forth. Therefore, the initial evaluation of the land being magnificent and flowing with milk and honey was correct. It aligned with what God promised. However, the moment Israel's spies began to gather data on the people, the moment they began to do more than God asked, fear crept in. How many times have you begun the process or the task just as God instructed, but after a while you began to do more? You began to consider more. You apply for the job as God instructed, but after you don't get an immediate response, you begin to question whether you were qualified. You start to consider how your resume does not line up with others who've also applied. And your expectation of success turns to anticipation of failure. You followed God's lead and you took the test, but while taking the test, you spent much of your time looking around the examination room and seeing how the other students were responding to the test. <sighs> These struggles of fear are struggles of faith in God. Israel, the moment they began to size up the Canaanites, were allowing fear to co-opt the lines of faith in their life. What are you allowing to co-opt the lines of faith in your life? The moment you move at the word of God and find yourself in a situation that seems larger than your capacity, but remember that God is the one that sent you there. And don't allow the largeness or the size or the enormity of the issue or the circumstance or the trial or the test 
dissuade you from going after what God says to go after. This is a 15-minute lunch break with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon signing off. My encouragement today is don't let your fears get you caught up in a holding pattern. Exchange your fears for faith in God. Until next time, God bless.